We continue our study through the book of Luke, picking up the account where the disciples have gone out. Jesus has sent them out into the land to carry the gospel, to preach the coming of the kingdom, to perform all kinds of miracles. They actually have the ability to do whatever Jesus has done up to this point. They can give sight to the blind, the lame walk, the deaf hear. They have the ability even to raise the dead. This is a a, a great, great blessing for them. But you've got to kind of wonder, if you put yourself in, in the account... They get together and they begin to relate. They, they regather in Capernaum to talk about how it all went. Right? That's, what it, that's what it says. When the apostles return, they give an account to Jesus of all the things that they have done. And you can also imagine that they, being who they are, probably had some rather interesting conversations with each other as well. We know that these are guys who go down the road with Jesus as they're walking down the road. You know, there's two, three guys in the back and they're over there having an argument. What exactly is it they're arguing about? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's what they're arguing about. So can you imagine coming back with this? You know, hey, I had a guy, his hand was totally burned, and I healed him. Ah, it's nothing. I had a guy, had his hand crushed, and I healed that. Yeah, I got you all beat. I had a guy, got his hand cut off, and I restored it. And you can just hear these guys. This is in complete character with who they are. They, they send their mom over there to, you know, lobby on their behalf to get them in the right hand of Jesus when he comes into his kingdom, right? Hey, get mom to go over there and ask him. You can't say no to her. You just kind of look at these guys. You're like, oh, oh. Does Jesus get put out with them? No. No, Jesus is very kind to them. It's, it's important to step into the narrative and to pay attention. Don't let these kinds of things slide by. That These guys are braggadocious, they're proud, they're egotistical, they're all too willing to get into a discussion about who among them is the greatest at, a, at the drop of a hat and at the most unbelievably inappropriate moments. They sit around and talk about who's going to be the greatest. Uh, I suspect when they came back from this particular event, they must have really had some go. It, it doesn't record that, by the way. I just think it's well within their character. So Jesus says, okay, here's what, here's what we've got to do. We've, we've gone over how it all went. It's good. You guys gave the message and did the miracles. So here's what we need to do. You guys have, have gone out. I sent you out without any provisions whatsoever. You didn't get to carry a knapsack. You didn't get to carry any kind of food, any kind of provision with you. And by the way, no money. I just sent you out there <coughs> for the specific purpose that you would see the provision of God. You would discover that even though I sent you out there without any preparation or provisions, that God would take care of you. And of course he did. Here they are. They've, they've come back. But you can imagine there were cities that didn't, didn't pay any attention to them. They had to shake the dust off their feet and move on. Uh, that city, if you showed up and you didn't, you know, you didn't bring any food, and you go in and you preach all day, and now you shake the dust off your feet, you know, you're probably going to be a little hungry as you make your way to the next city, right? And so they gather together, and Jesus is like, let's just go. There's, there's this city called Bethsaida. It's, it's up on the northeastern shore of the, of the Sea of Galilee, and it's got you know, a lot of area around it. Let's just kind of 
retreat here. Jesus is not a slave driver. He has sent them out. They have gone out. I'm sure that they've had, it doesn't say exactly how long they went, but a, you know, a couple of weeks, maybe a month. I mean, they've been out there, and they've been at this. And now it's time to get together and to take a break. And so Mark relates on the same account, uh, Mark 6.31, he, he said, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place, and we're going to rest a while, because the, there were so many people coming and going, they, they didn't even have time to eat. Uh, remember, they've gone now out as six groups of, you know, six groups of two, and they have preached the gospel and done these miracles. So as they make their way back, preaching that the kingdom has come and, and Jesus is the king, you can imagine that they have brought crowds with them. People who didn't have the opportunity to get healed. People are like, hey, I've got to get my brother, my uncle, my neighbor, whoever, and, you know, to come, come on, you know, here they are, they're gathering together, and of course now they're all there. And the disciples still have the power to perform the miracles as well as Jesus, and you can imagine, they're just mobbed. The place is just absolutely mobbed. Probably as far as the eye can see, there's just crowds of people, and Jesus is like, okay, it's, we, uh, I need to get you guys out of here for just a little bit, and we're going to go somewhere. And so they make their way to the shore, and they get in a boat, which Jesus has done before. We need to get in the boat. Let's you know, we'll pull away from the shore, and that's going to give us a moment to get a break. Now, if you're way in the back of the crowd, you're completely unaware of this. You don't. You're just waiting your turn, right? I mean, and you suddenly, things, it's like, what, what, what's going on? What, why, well, everything seemed to, you know, the temperature just dropped here. I mean, you know, it's, the buzz has gone down. Oh, Jesus is no longer at, at the front of the crowd. Where'd he go? We're not, we're not sure. I, we think, oh, I think he's in that boat over there. Oh, all right. So where's the boat going? Well, we don't know. But wherever that boat is going, follow it. Now, if you've ever, if you've even seen a picture of the Sea of Galilee, it's not big. This is, it's 13 miles long, eight miles across at its widest point. You know, you can stand, just climb the hill a little bit, and yeah, there's the other side. It's right there. It's not like they're disappearing over the horizon. So there's the boat. Now, I'm sure there are many boats, and they've got to figure out which one is exactly Jesus. But this whole crowd, they're all like, oh, he's heading that way. Let's go. <laughs> Off they go. Everybody heads where Jesus is headed. He's at Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. is kind of on the more northwestern shore, and they're heading to the northeastern shore. So, you know, they're cutting straight across, you know, a lake, right? They're, they're going, so it's about four miles straight across. They, everybody else has to go up and around, so it's about eight miles. So they've got they've to go a little ways. The key thing to note here is that when they get over there to Bethsaida, they are actually out of the jurisdiction of Herod. The line is, you know, the center of the Sea of Galilee. Remember, he's a tetriarch. He's only got a fourth. So when they, once they cross over that center line and get over there onto the other side of the Sea of Galilee, no longer in Herod's territory. Remember, Herod has been making an effort to see Jesus. Remember, he, last week, he was, he's got a guilty conscience. Who is this guy? I mean, I, I killed John. Is this John resurrected from the dead? Because if it is, we're apparently going to have to kill him too. Herod wants to see a miracle, but he, he clearly wants to arrest Jesus. 
So verse 9, 11, excuse me, Luke 9, 11. So when the crowds were aware that Jesus had actually gotten into a boat and was sailing away, they began to follow him. So here you've got all these folks who have probably, many of them have been gathered up from the 12 who have gone out and preached, and they've come back to their headquarters in Capernaum, and so they've got a whole group of people from the whole Galilean area, and they're now all making their way over. <coughs> Picture you're in the boat. You're, you're in the boat, right? And I don't, they're probably not rowing. I, I mean, they might be. The boat is big enough to hold all 13 of them, and maybe a few extra. It's a fairly large boat. So they're probably sailing it, and you're sitting there, and, you know, it goes two ways, right? Not only is the lake not that big for them to hide on, but the lake is also plenty big enough for them to just look at the shore. And what do you see? Massive groups of people all waiting to intersect wherever in the world it is you're going to put to shore. And you're like, oh, you know. We're getting, a, we need a break here. We're trying to get away from these crowds and this, you know, this clearly isn't working. Can't these people give us just a, just a minute's break? I mean, we didn't have time to eat here. Is that the attitude of Jesus? Clearly not. Because when they do make sure, and sure enough, everybody's right there, Jesus gets off the boat and it says he welcomes them. And he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. <coughs> Luke 6, 34 says this. When Jesus went ashore, he saw the large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Now, please recognize this is not a group of people who are repentant. That's not what's characterizing them. These people are not disciples. These are not people who have all repented of their sin or are waiting for the kingdom of heaven to occur. These are people who all want their illnesses cured. That's why they're there. They're there because they want something from Jesus or from the disciples or from whoever they can get it from. They want Jesus to take care of them. Well, their physical needs anyway. Jesus doesn't roll his eyes. Jesus doesn't get put out with them. Jesus has compassion on them. Jesus looks out at them and sees them as lost. Here's the problem with the lost. They're lost. They can't make sense of this world. They can't figure out what they're doing and why they're here and the purpose of life. And I don't know, I'm here to feel good, right? I mean, I don't know what else. I mean, life is good when I feel good. So what else am I supposed to do with my life? Make other people feel good? I mean, what? No, I'm here to make me feel good. So I got to do whatever it is that makes me feel good. What else am I going to do? Wait, want me to live my life to the glory of God or something? I mean, come on. Which, of course, is exactly what God has called us to do. So Jesus looks at this group of lost people who, by the way, remember now, Jesus has been at this for almost two years. 
And these are people from the Galilean region because that's where Jesus is carrying out his ministry. So these people have been hearing the truth and watching the miracles and seeing the things that Jesus has been doing for a couple of years now. And still, here they are, just want more miracles. They just want more healing. There's kind of a never-ending line of people who are ill, right? I mean, we live in a fallen world. And even if you happen to feel good today, and I hope you do, that doesn't mean you're not going to be ill next week. I hope you're not. But that's how life is. And so there's a continual line of people who want to be healed. And here they are. Jesus looks at them and, and says, I love these people. They're lost, but they're like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I don't know what kind of exposure you've had to sheep, if you've had any kind of exposure to sheep. If you talk to anyone who has tried to raise sheep, sheep are often described as an animal that are looking for a place to die. That's kind of a characteristic of sheep. The problem with sheep is that they seem to have no real common sense. They don't really think carefully about the consequences of what they're doing. They're hungry. There's a leaf in front of them. So let's eat this one. There's another leaf. Let's eat that one. There's another leaf. Let's eat that. And the next thing you know, they're in a thicket, or they've fallen over the side of the cliff, or they've dropped into the water. Who in the world knows what's happened to them? But by one leaf at a time, without any situational awareness, without ever actually sticking their head up and looking around and going, is this a good idea or not? They just kind of whatever's in front of them, they just keep doing. In fact, if you put sheep in a field and you leave them there, The sheep of the field will eat every blade of green grass in the place. And even if there's another field like over there, eh, I mean, if they happen to stumble over into it, fine. But otherwise, they'll just sit right there in the field they're in and they'll start pawing at the ground and digging up the roots. They will completely devastate the entire field and kill everything in it. Why? Well, that's quite a curse to them that, you know, if we kill everything in here, we, uh, we won't, there won't be any food in the future. Future? These are sheep. They're not really thinking about future. There's no real future to sheep. We're just kind of doing what's right here in front of us. We're, sheep are the ultimate, oh, I've always done it this way. I don't know. We sat in this field. There was grass. We ate it. The grass is gone. We'll dig around and see if there's something else. So we'll just sit right here in this field until the whole place dies. How's that going to go? I don't know. That's really occurred to me. This is what we've always done. This is what we're going to do. If it all dies, well, I guess it all dies. I don't you know what. Sheep need a shepherd. Sheep need someone to come to them and to say, hey, you know, I think we've eaten from this field. There's another field over there. Here, follow me. Let's go. We're going to go over to the other field. Yeah, but that's scary. Have we been over to the other field? I mean, are we sure we should go over there? You know, we might even find ourselves going through the valley of the shadow of death or something on our way to that other field. I mean, to go from the lowlands to the highlands could be a really dangerous journey. Are you sure we should make our way? Yes. Come on, let's go. Sometimes we have to get out of the way we've always done things and get on to other things. If we stay, we die. We need to go to where the other pastures are, to where they're greener. The people of Israel, Jesus is trying to lead them out of the old covenant into the new covenant. That's what he's preaching to them. You read the Sermon on the Mount. That's what it's all about. You have heard it said, but I say unto you, you can't work your way to heaven. Stop. 
Salvation is by grace. Jesus is trying to lead them into the greener pastures. He's trying to lead them. And so when he shows up, he's, he's preaching, he's teaching, and they're doing some healing. <coughs> now, verse 12, Luke 9. Now the day was ending, and what this means is that the sun is now on its way down. Now, if you don't have a clock, and they don't have clocks, they don't have watches, sorry, no iPhones, nothing. All they got is the sun. And you'd have morning when the sun is coming up. You've got noonish when the sun is in the sky. And then you've got the day waning. The sun is, you know, it's not noontime anymore. The sun is kind of, now it's on its way. And you look at the day, the day is now passing. It's come to the place where enough of the day has gone by. It's really obvious that whatever we're going to be doing here, we probably need to get doing it. We've got a whole pile of people here who have followed us from who knows where throughout the Galilean region, as well as people from Bethsaida. I mean, obviously, when whatever town Jesus showed up at, people came out of the town but in droves. So the people of Bethsaida are clearly out there as well. And the people who have been following the disciples are there. It's a fairly large crowd we'll get into in just a second. And it becomes obvious that the day is coming. It's, it's closing here. So there's a problem. We were so busy back there, we didn't have time to eat. Maybe we ate on the boat. Maybe not. Hard to say. But now the day is coming to a close, and we got a whole pile of people out here. And they need to... They need to go home. So it says, verse 12, Now the day was ending, and the twelve, they come to Jesus, and they say to him, Send the crowd away, that they may go into the surrounding villages and the countryside and find whatever lodging there is to find and get something to eat. We are in a desolate place. So Jesus doesn't actually make it into Bethsaida. He just, it's, but it's near it. He's out there in the wilderness in and where the mountains and the sea come together, and, but it's not right at the town, and so that everybody could come, and Jesus could stand on the high spot and speak down on the low spot. He's, he's been up preaching. And the disciples come to him, and they're like, um, you know, you really need to send these folks home. It's difficult to discern. It's possible, if you want to give the disciples the benefit of the doubt, that they're like, hey, you know, is this guy ever going to stop preaching? I mean, you know, seriously, if you, you know. Hey, Jesus. Um, maybe, maybe, they're just kind of like, uh, Jesus, have you looked at the time? Um, you know, maybe. Maybe they've just had a long day and we really need to get rid of these people. You just get them out of here. Aren't you astounded that the disciples, at this point in time, they've been with Jesus now for almost two years, and they still just show up and tell him what to do. Hey, Jesus, you need to send these people away. I mean, you read it. That's exactly, they, they show up and tell Jesus what to do. You would think by this point in time, it would kind of occur to them that telling Jesus what to do is, it's really not a good idea. Maybe we should think carefully before we just walk up there and tell Jesus what to do. Um, you might think that, but apparently not, because that's exactly what they do. They show up and still try to tell Jesus what to do. Of course, Jesus, um, kindly, but um, instead of 
taking any kind of advice from his disciples because that's really not the relationship that we've got here. This is God you're speaking to. You don't sit around and tell God what to do. So Jesus instead does a most unexpected thing. Verse 13, Jesus says to them, tell you what, you give them something to eat. You can imagine the guy who came up and actually said to Jesus, right? It doesn't say, by the way, that it was Peter. Although, if you had to guess, that'd be the guy to guess. But it's one of them anyway. One of them has come to him and said, it's, it's time to send all these folks home. And Jesus is like, no, no. You give them something to eat. <coughs> well, okay. Um, the day is waning. We're not even sure that there's completely enough time at this moment, even if we send them all to go wherever in the world it is they're going to go, that, that everyone is going to get an evening meal. I mean, if you're going to go to some place of lodging where they're, and they didn't have hotels, right? You would go into someone's home. The, the people who are working on making the evening meal are probably in the process of making it. And so you better get to whatever lodging place you're going to get to and or, or if you're going to buy it, you better get back into town and find some merchant who's still open. You know, the, the window is closing for the moment in which all of these people are somehow going to find food in their stomach by the time the sun goes down tonight. I mean, we're already at that point, so you want us to feed them? Now, if they'd have been paying any attention, right, they, you'd think the least they could have said was, well, I don't know, Moses in the wilderness, I guess. He managed to feed them. There's a passage in 2 Kings uh, chapter 4. There's a man who came from Baal, Shalatha, and he brought the man of God bread of the first fruits. This is Elisha, by the way. 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack, which is not that much. I mean, 20 loaves, but, and some grain, you know, a few ears of grain. And Elisha says to him, Give them to the people that they may eat. And his attendant said, what? Should I set them before? I mean, there's a hundred men here. This is just, you know, a couple of, a couple of loaves of barley and, and a few things of grain here. What? But he said, give them to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they will eat and they'll have some left over. So they should be aware of that passage. They should be aware of the ministry of Elisha. They should be aware of Moses. They, they, okay. They just spent the last, what, month, give or take, however long it was, it doesn't specifically say, but they've just spent quite a while giving sight to the blind, the lame walk, the deaf hear. I mean, come on, guys, you have a miraculous gift here. You give them something to eat. Okay, okay, I mean, is that, what, is that the reaction? Uh, yeah, no, not so much. Here's an interesting thing about this account, the feeding of the 5,000, which, you know, we'll get to that number here in a second. That's 5,000 men, not including the women and children. There's very likely a similar number of women, given that virtually all Jewish men were married, and they're going to have at least a couple of kids, if not more. So there's, without a doubt, 20, 25,000 people in this crowd. I mean, there's a lot of folks here. This is only one of two miracles that occur in all four Gospels. This one, the feeding of the 5,000, and the resurrection. That's it. 
There is no other miracle that occurs in all four Gospels. But this one does. So John, John chapter 6 is where this miracle occurs. Jesus lifts up his eyes. He sees the crowd. And he says to Philip, Hey, Philip, we've got to feed these folks. Where do you suppose we could possibly buy enough bread so that they may eat? And John adds this little word of commentary. This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. So John looks at Philip and says, hey, Philip, um, we've got to feed all these folks. Got any idea how we could go about doing that? Any, any idea? You think, you think we've, uh, you know, can we buy bread for these guys? I mean, we've got to feed them. And Philip, who should have looked at Jesus, how should Philip have dealt with this? He should have looked at Jesus and said, you know, you're the Messiah. You represent God on earth here. Their theology may not have been fully complete just yet. I'm not sure that Trinitarianism and the idea that Jesus is actually God in the flesh is completely It's not cemented in their heads just yet. That's going to take Pentecost and the Spirit of God indwelling them. But they certainly had enough to know that you you can calm the sea. I mean, you can command the demons. You can turn water into wine. Who knows how many miracles. I mean, they don't even record a tenth of the miracles Jesus does. You'd think he could have looked at them and said, I don't don't know. But if you think we should feed them, I have no doubt about it. We, We can definitely do it. Is that what he does? No. No, that's not what he does. Jesus gives Philip the trial. Philip, how are we going to do this? Uh, I really don't know. I mean, we've got 200 denarii here. But even if we bought 200 denarii worth of bread, I don't I don't. I don't it's 5,000 men plus the women and kids. I mean, that's 25,000 people. How, how much bread are you going to need here? 200 denarii, it's a pretty good sum of money. A denarii was a day's wages, so that's a little over 70 days for, you know, one guy working. That's, that's a good chunk of change, but it's nowhere near enough to feed all these people. It's just, it's, it's not going to do it. So Philip is, you know, I don't know. Do we have the money? We don't have the money. Sorry, we, we, we can't do it. We don't have the money. Jesus throws that out there for him specifically to see if that's where he's going to go, and that's where he goes. Philip's kind of the guy that counts the money. It's not Judas, by the way. Judas carries the money, but Philip is a guy who apparently is good to figures, and so let's see if we got the money, and let's see if we can solve whatever problem we've got in front of us by having enough money. And we don't have enough money, so we can't do it. Can't do it. Wish we could, can't. Even 200 denarii is not going to get it done. That's all the money we got, so we don't have any money. Can't. I, I don't know. We're going to have to find a different solution here because clearly the, the money thing is, is not going to do it. And just send them home because, because we don't have any faith whatsoever. All we've got is, you know, what's in front of us. And if we don't have enough money, then we can't do it. It's not like we're going to actually step out on faith here, right? And that, of course, is exactly what's going on in this account, right? The question is, are even the disciples going to have enough faith In Jesus, they don't have to have faith in their own abilities. They don't have to have faith in their own miraculous gift, which God has clearly given them. Just trust Jesus. 
Not so much. Okay, so if we can't, if we can't, now Jesus did say that we should feed them. So <clears throat> we counted up our money. That didn't get it done. Maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe there's some kind of hint here. Maybe there's some kind of puzzle that we're supposed to figure out. So maybe someone has, unbeknownst to us, brought out, I don't know, a cart of food or something. Maybe, maybe someone's got a wagon, you know, with an ox and in the back of the thing is a bunch of food. I, I mean, I don't know. Let's ask around. Hey, anybody got any food? Anybody, you know, anybody? And of course, we all know the one little kid comes up. He's like, well, I don't know. I got the lunch my mother gave me. I don't, you know, I mean, I guess. Jesus wants it. Here you go. And uh, what does he got? He's got five loaves and two fish. Now, it says loaves here, but we're talking these kinds of loaves. We would probably more describe them as biscuits. You know? These are not, you know, these are not three-foot-long, you know, French bread. You know, this. that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about... Biscuits. And he's got five biscuits and a couple of fish. And the fish, by the way, it's not like it's not like he threw in a couple of flopping fish in his knapsack here first thing in the morning and been lugging them around all day and open it up. Woohoo. That's not what we got either. These are fish which they, they have no refrigeration in the ancient world, right? So when you caught fish, you dried them and you salted them. You bury them in salt, which absorbed all the moisture out of them and made them all, I'm sure they were great. They were nice, dry, salty fish. I don't know about you, but dried, salty fish sounds pretty good. And, but they're not particularly big. He's not pulling out tuna here, you know? I mean, this is, this is not, you know, some 60-pound, this is a little kid, you know? He's, what, four, five, six inches maybe, two of them? These are little fish and a couple of biscuits. That's all he's got. <coughs> We got the kid, you know, uh, I don't, I, Andrew says, yeah, what is this with all these people? I mean, this isn't going to work. We got 5,000 men, plus the women and kids. A few loaves, a couple of fish. I, I don't see what this is going to do. This, well, the answer, of course, is what are you going to do with them? If you just have sense enough, and apparently they do, um, to give them to Jesus. That's the key. It's the key of the whole passage. Just take what you got and give it to Jesus. And then stand back and do whatever Jesus says. And, of course, what he says is uh, make everybody sit down. Now, Jesus could... He could, he could get exasperated with his, what is wrong with you guys? Seriously, I gave you the ability to do miracles. Will you please just, you know, get a little vision here? I, no, that's it. I'm not doing anything. You take care of it. I mean, that's not Jesus. He doesn't act like that at all. I'd act like that. I, you'd get frustrated and, what is, what is wrong with you guys? I, I give you the ability to give sight to the blind. You just, can't you figure this out? Uh, that's not Jesus at all. He's just kind. He's compassionate. He's like, what, what do you got? Oh, a couple of loaves and a few fish? Great. Well, that'll do it. Just get everybody to sit down. 
And Jesus doesn't lecture them. He doesn't chew them out. He doesn't get all frustrated. He doesn't get angry. He just, it's okay. These are his disciples. It's all right. I, here, um, I'm, I'm going to show you how this can work. That's all. Let me, let me just, you, you give me the stuff and I'll, I'll take care of it. There's no, there's no roll his eyes and big sigh and, oh my goodness, you know. Um, no. Jesus is like, let's, let's just do this. And he tells them to get everybody to sit down, groups of 50, and there's 12 disciples, and you know, they're all sitting down, and, and they do obey. It's one thing they're really good at. When Jesus gives them clear directions, they do it. They don't, they don't fight him on that. And you know what? That's, that's all they need to do. That gets the job done. Just do what Jesus says. Now, they do show up and try to tell Jesus what to do. You need to send them all home. He's like, no, no, that's not what's going to happen. We're going to feed them. Uh, Get them all to sit down, and we're going to feed them, and your suggestion that we send them all home is not going to work. Instead, we're going to provide for them. So I had them sit down in groups of 50 each, uh, Luke 9, 15. They did so and had them all sit down. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. Thank you, Lord, for this food. And he broke them. You know, he started snapping them off here. And he kept giving them to the disciples as if for the people. You know, let's get your, uh, every, everybody, the disciples now. I mean, when they left before, they didn't have any kind of knapsack or anything. But now they do. They have baskets. And your basket is to carry your stuff in. So here, let me see your basket. Till we fill that basket. Next guy. And Jesus just sits there and fills the baskets. All right, hand them out, you know. And when, you're at, when that's empty, bring it back, you know. And so Jesus just stands there and keeps filling those baskets until every single person in the place. And he blessed them and broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate until they were satisfied. You know how it is when you go to the all-you-can-eat place, right? Now, if you pay the exact, you know, if, if you pay and, you know, they bring you the meal and, eh, you don't really want the whatever it is, you know. So you leave the vegetables over on the side because, you know. But the all-you-can-eat place? Mm. What is it you really like? Well, go back and get some more. In fact, go back and get some more several times. Just keep going back until, well, until you're satisfied. When the food is free, you eat until you are satisfied. These are people who, you know, hunger in the first century was not uncommon. These are people who are going to really put it away. It's okay. Jesus is fine with that. You can put it away. He's going to keep feeding until everyone has like, and do you think that everybody in the place doesn't have their own basket? You... You think they're not stuffing this stuff into every pocket they've got, and of course they are. It's okay. It's okay. Jesus is literally creating food. This is one of, depending on how you measure such things, this is one of the greatest miracles that Jesus will ever do. This is a miracle that affects the greatest number of people. Now, he will cast 2,000 demons out of one guy, but, you know, that's one guy. This is 5,000 men, probably another 5,000 men. This is like 25,000 people. He's feeding them all until they can't eat another bite. And when the disciples are done, they will have 12 baskets, one for each of them. 
so that all of their needs will be completely met. Everyone will have all the food that they can eat for a while. This stuff, by the way, is made to last, right? The biscuit and the fish are both made to have some life to them. They're they're, they're made to endure. It's not like this stuff is going to go bad by tomorrow morning. The 12 baskets that the disciples have, each one of them having their own basket, probably feed them for a week. This is a huge amount of food. This is a miracle in which Jesus is going to, everyone who has any thought in their mind is thinking, Moses and the manna and the wilderness. And this is without a doubt the work of God. Yeah, without a doubt, yes. What should you be concluding about this? Who is this guy? Wow, he is, he's on par with the work of Moses. Yes, that's exactly what you should be thinking. This, by the way, is kind of the apex. This is kind of the crescendo of the miraculous ministry in Galilee. Luke, now the other gospels will, others will spend a little more time. We'll look just a second. In fact, John kind of gives us, as it were, the rest of the story. We'll take a brief look at that. Luke will just kind of move on. Um, Next week, Jesus will be pretty much done with the Galilean region and on his way, he'll head north, but when he comes back, it's really his ministry to Galilee is done and he will be on his way to Jerusalem. So this is it. This is it for the Galilean region. Jesus has been here for two, maybe two and a half years. Uh, He sent the disciples out. He has done enormous miracles. He has, for all intents and purposes, virtually wiped out illness here in the Galilean region. I mean, anybody who's sick, anybody has been healed. Anybody who's been demon-possessed, they've been cast out. Anybody who wants healing has received it. And now at, this, at the peak of that ministry, at the, at the top here, he's going to not only heal all of their illnesses, but even people who don't need a miracle, even people who feel just fine, who all just came to whatever, they too have participated in a miracle. They have watched Jesus turn a couple of loaves and a few fish into all they can eat. That's an amazing thing. It is an amazing thing. God is a great provider. And Jesus, by the way, does this miracle. Remember, he does it. Herod has been chasing Jesus around to see a miracle. Yeah, he misses this one too. Herod Herod doesn't get to see this either. In fact, Jesus goes into deliberately outside of Herod's jurisdiction to do this miracle. It should be unfortunately noted, sad, sad. It's a sad commentary. Bethsaida. Jesus, the moment will come, and, and we'll get there in Luke 10, by the way. We're in Luke 9 at the moment. In Luke 10, Jesus will stand up and say, Woe unto you. Curses unto you. I mean, and this is it. This is the end to you. Chorazin and Bethsaida. We, we can't locate Bethsaida. It doesn't exist anymore. There is no city on the northeastern corner of the Sea of Galilee. Woe unto you, Chorazin and Bethsaida, if the mighty works that have been done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. You didn't. You didn't. All 
these great works, all these great, marvelous, magnificent works. Eh, it's nice, but they don't repent. John will bring up, um, Jesus will go up into the mountain. He'll send the disciples away. They'll get back on the boat, by the way, and head back over to Capernaum. Jesus will go up into the mountain, disperse the crowds, and he'll pray. And I'm just going to go through this briefly because we're not preaching John. We're just doing Luke. But Jesus, this is when Jesus will come down off the mountain and start walking across the water. And they see him and think they see a ghost. And uh, that's where that event occurs. And Jesus will get in the boat and they'll be on the other shore. And in the morning, the people will wake up and they're like, where's Jesus? And we saw the disciples leaving the boat. But where's Jesus? And they make their way back to Capernaum, and there's Jesus. And be like, how did you get here? How did you? Because, I mean, we all, you know, you didn't travel at night. And how did you get here? And, and they'll find him on the other side. This is John 25. And they'll say to him, Rabbi, when, when did you get here? And Jesus answers them and says, truly I say to you, you only seek me because you saw the signs. You seek me because you ate the bread and were filled. You didn't really care what the message was. You're not really looking to find me because you want to actually pay attention to what it meant that I had the ability to feed 5,000 people with two loaves and a couple of fish. You're not paying any attention to the actual sign of God here. You just wanted your stomach filled. Don't work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life. I can give you that food. Well, so they say to him, John 6, 28, well, what shall we do that we may do the works of God? I mean, this sounds good. And Jesus says to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And by the way, that is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Um, they say to him, all right, let, all right, fine, we, we should believe on you, huh? Hmm. <clears throat> okay. If that's the case, verse 30, so what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe in you? You're kidding me, right? Um, what work do you perform? Huh? Come on. What do you got? And this is what they actually say. John six thirty one. Read it. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. So, uh, <clears throat> How about you cough up breakfast, too? They didn't say that, but they, they are saying that. Let's forget that big free meal we had yesterday, and let's talk about today. They don't, they don't care about Jesus' message. They don't, they don't care about the kingdom of God and repentance and any of that. They don't care about any of that stuff. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I, look, I say to you, is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread of heaven. You, it wasn't Moses that gave you this bread, it was the Father. The bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. This is what Jesus says to the woman at the well, too. Remember, I give you living water. She's like, oh, I want that living water. I am the water of life. Right? It's the same thing he says to them. So they say, oh, oh, give us this bread, you know, this, this eternal bread that comes down out of heaven. We want that. So Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Oh, he who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will not thirst. Jesus is preaching that he is the bread of life. 
What do they say? Verse 41, therefore the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I'm the bread that comes down out of heaven. How dare he say that he's the manna of God? Same group of people. This is the same group of people who all ate of the food just last night. You watch Jesus do the miracles. No repentance. In fact, what do they say? They were saying, is not this the Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I come down out of heaven? Who does this guy think he is anyway? Uh, you know, I think who he was is the guy who just gave you all, all the food you could possibly eat just yesterday from two loaves, three, five loaves and a couple of fish. That's who he is. You know, if you're thinking the prosperity gospel would actually work, this should help you with that. This is as prosperous as the prosperity gospel possibly gets. He's healed all your sicknesses and he's given you all free food. I mean, come on. What in the world more could you possibly want? And is there belief? No. It's no belief. They don't, they're just as hard as ever. doesn't matter. All the stuff that Jesus gives them for free, it's just all there. All you have to do is believe. They don't believe. They don't believe. They don't repent. They don't turn. Woe unto you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. So Jesus gives us the gospel. You say, well, I don't have the ability to do miracles. Okay, so you don't. Let me ask you, did, did it help? Would it help if you had the ability to do miracles? I'm sure you could get a bigger crowd. There's no doubt about that. Oh, you could, you could get a crowd. Yeah, but do you think that that's actually going to result in people repenting? Repentance and belief in God, is, it's not intellectual, it's moral. We'll not have this man rule over us. That's their problem. It's not that they deny the miracle. They don't deny the miracle. They don't deny that he fed them. They don't deny that he heals the sick or raises the dead. There's no denial of any of it. It's not a matter of denying it. They just aren't going to repent. We're not, no, we're, we're not going to have him tell us what to do. We're not going to turn away from our false works-based religion where we get into heaven by what good people we are and instead get into heaven by the grace of God. We're not doing that. We're going to set our own standard and God can just live with it or tough luck for God which is exactly where they are, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. Uh, that doesn't work. So there's no repentance. So when we go out and we preach the gospel, it is the power of God unto salvation to anyone who wants to believe it. We don't have to do miracles. If you want to see a miracle, preach the gospel and watch somebody believe it. There's a miracle. Just preach the gospel. Don't feel like you have to water it down or make it palatable or somehow appeal to the natural man while you're at it. Just preach the truth, that's all. Just speak the truth. Speak about the great things God has done on your behalf. Speak about the sacrifice of Jesus on everyone's behalf. And watch the power of God work in people's lives. And if you're thinking that, well, miracles would help, the record doesn't actually show that. Just look at the New Testament. The maximum amount of miracles ever done for anybody, anywhere, is right here. Right here. The Galilean region. Chorazin, 
Bethsaida. The mighty works, if they'd been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. Not these guys. So the gospel is all we need. Just preach it. That's all. Just preach the gospel and stand back and watch the the power of God work. We've got everything we need to be the effective ministers of Christ we need to be. He's given it all to us. We're not missing out on anything. We're, we're, we're not second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. We have all we need. We just have to be faithful to do it. That's all. Just bring a five loaves and a couple of fish to Jesus and watch. That's all. What do you got? Bring it. What's your gift? Use it. What, what do you have? Just do it. Just do what God, whatever. You may think, well, I don't have much. That's fine. You don't need much. It's not us anyway. It's all God. It's all Jesus. Bring what you have to Jesus and just watch. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being a kind and compassionate and gracious, loving God. Thank you that you care for your people. Thank you that even this group who clearly does not repent, yet you are kind to them and compassionate to them and you feed them and you heal their illnesses, and you see them as sheep without a shepherd, knowing how they will ultimately reject you. Lord, may we have your heart. May we have your eyes. May we love sinners. May we love people who may hate you. May we share your love with them anyway, even if it causes them to hate us. May we continue to be kind and compassionate and gracious, but bold to speak the truth. Lord, use our lives in ways we can't imagine, knowing that it's not just this day and this time and this period, but the future. You will use our lives in ways we cannot possibly dream of if we will just be faithful. So give us the wisdom to do that and to bring what we have to you to use. We pray in your dear son's precious name. Amen.